you have to know what success is to you and, and you have to be comfortable with that decision. And for me, success has never been, how do I become a 10, 20, $50 million agency? It was like, can I live my life and spend the time with my family I want to spend and, and retain and develop talent? So it's like the growth has almost happened to the level where I felt necessary to enable me to do those things, right. whereas the growth itself was never the priority. Ground Up, Episode 7. When it comes to business, it seems like there isn't much that Paul Reitzer hasn't been successful at. There's PR 2020, the agency he founded in 2005. First to solve a gap in the marketplace for his wife's business, now they're a platinum HubSpot agency partner. They were actually the first HubSpot agency partner 10 years ago. He has a successful speaking career that takes him all around the globe. He's also written two books that have become must-reads in both the marketing and agency spaces. More recently, he launched the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute, which in just over one year has already generated significant traction amongst marketers from Fortune 500 companies, investors, and many more. But at his core, Paul is really just a curious guy that approaches problems scientifically. He told me that anytime he launches something new, or gives a talk, or writes a blog post, it's really just his own self-discovery process that he's sharing. I was lucky enough to sit down with Paul for over an hour recently, to pick his brain on all things marketing and business, from starting up to defining his version of success, developing and retaining talent, and so much more. This episode was extra special, as Databox CEO Pete Caputa, who built the HubSpot partner program that Paul and his agency were first to join, hopped on as well to take a stroll down memory lane. I feel like this is a special one. I have the honor of being here with you two guys. So, Pete, this is the first time Pete's going to hop on like a, and, and we're going to do like a joint uh, interview, if you even want to call it that, more of like a conversation. But yeah. obviously, Pete, who, you know, kind of built out the, the HubSpot partner program, and then Paul, PR 2020 was the first HubSpot agency partner. And I was trying to find, like, I looked this up, trying to find like what year that was. And I saw you had done an interview with um, the agency post back when that was, you know, its own separate entity with HubSpot. <laughs> and it sounds like it was like 07, 08. Is that right? Is it, oh, has it been 10 years since you came on as a HubSpot agency partner? Yeah, we started uh, the first sales call with Dan Tire was in like fall of 07. And then I think we signed on as a customer in probably around December of 07. And then sold our first license, I guess, or bundled our first uh, service package in somewhere around like March of 08. Wow. And then that became, you know, that sort of started everything from there. Now, Pete, when did you start? I don't even remember. Like, I know you I started in, in November of 2007. Okay. Um, so I would have, it would have started like right when you, right before you signed up. Yeah. Then, I think you, you might've even been on one of the calls. Cause I think I did like two or three calls before I oh, closed. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Cause it was before like the, the partner program was just a glimmer in my eye at that point. So yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I probably wasn't involved in you signing up, although I do remember the story about how Dan Tyre pitched you initially. That That's a good one. Oh, well, yeah. Let's hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a lot. I, so basically, I read an article that mentioned HubSpot. And so I went online and, and tried to figure out like what it was. 
And at the time, so this is 07. Right. They were only a year old, right? Well, they were a year old. Twitter was basically just (laughs) come into existence. Facebook was publicly available now for about a year because I think 06 is when it opened up to people outside of select universities. Um, The iPhone, I think, had just come out probably. So like everything was just starting out. Blogging was a thing, but it was really just like Chris Brogan and a few other people that were actually doing it. Um, so yeah, it was just super early on and we were looking at how to evolve the agency. I I was looking at HubSpot and thinking, wow, if we could do email marketing and SEO and the CMS, but at the time was horrible, but they had a CMS, like they had all these things, but I didn't really understand how it all connected. And so I talked with Dan Tyre and I think what he, he tried to sell me on was, (laughs) How, how how much would it be worth to you to like rank number one for Cleveland PR firm? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I get, okay, I get what you're going for here. Like it'll help me rank better for key terms. Um, but you know, we were from an agency perspective, we weren't doing a ton of that at the time, but that, that started to open up my eyes to it. And then we signed on, but I actually just wanted access to the methodology because I wanted to use um, HubSpot's curriculum to train our staff differently. And at the time, the license was 250 a month. So I bought in for access to the methodology, not necessarily to use it myself yet or to resell it or anything. Hmm. And then in like January of 08, after a couple of months, we finally put the script on our site and started tracking. And so then I started spending time in the software, like, what do I actually do with this? And we started seeing like, holy cow, wait a second, we could bundle our services um with their software and we we could resell this and so you know at the time we were offering service packages and standardized services set pricing and so i just created bundles designed for hubspot customers and that kind of the rest took off from there i was actually just looking through my emails because i don't delete emails and uh, <laughs> i see you signed up three accounts um on uh, 908 so it's at uh september september 2008 yeah. There's like a, a long thread. Wow. It was like the first time an agency signed up multiple accounts. And for some reason, I was involved at that point. I think it was right when I was started to like pitch the program internally. So I think I was meant to be a policeman on Dan Tyre's uh, deals <laughs> to make sure that they were good deals uh, <laughs> at the time. When yeah, the well, that would have been – September of 08 would have been the first inbound marketing summit at the Marriott in Cambridge. So you and I would have met in person for the first time there. We'd already closed probably two or three deals because I remember Volpe sent us like the leverage software deal and oh yeah, spring of '08. And I actually, I think I sent that one to you. Okay, yeah, Yeah, I sent you guys like a three hundred dollar bottle of scotch or something. It's like I I just closed a five thousand dollar a month deal. I didn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) So the that that was inbound before inbound the inbound marketing summit. Yeah, that was it. That was the origin. It was called Inbound Marketing Summit, which they, after about three years, sold off to Brogan and uh, I think a couple other people. But they had it in Boston and then they did it in spring of 09 in San Francisco. And so Boston was actually the origin of everything because it was on the flight back. I did a a talk called um, uh, Eight eight ways to grow your business with blogging or something like that. And, and on the flight back, I wrote a blog post called Dawn of uh, the inbound marketing agency. And I don't know if you remember that blog post, Pete, but that became, (laughs) yeah, that was the post that got, I think spread her out internally. And then I actually went back to Boston in December of 08 and met with Pete 
um, Halligan and Darmesh. So that was when Pete was really, I think, starting to push heavily for building a partner program. And so the, uh, the four of us, you know, spent about an hour talking about the agency ecosystem and HubSpot's growth plans and all that stuff. Yep. And how big were you guys at the time? Like how many employees was PR 2020? Four or five, maybe. I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, probably because let's say we did, we started in 05, 06. We were 200. Let's say we did 120 in revenue in 06, 200 in 07, 400 in 08. So we had this like, we, you know, doubled in size in 08, but we were probably still about five employees at that time. Wow. And and HubSpot was probably less than less than 100 employees at that time too, or maybe right around there or something. So it's still pretty small. This is early days for for that whole ecosystem. So I guess to back it up a little bit, what inspired you to start an agency to begin with? So O five, you said what what sort of inspired that? Um, you know, just just launching your own agency. Yeah, it was it was a culmination of things. Like I never intended to, honestly. I um, I started at an agency. I interned there my junior and senior year in college, and then I started there straight out of school, and it was probably like five or six employees. Uh, I did a lot of bigger enterprise stuff at the time, billion dollar plus companies, and it was like crisis communications, PR, strategic planning events, and and then in like. So about four four years after that, we started a business for my wife, and she was a, a, an arts major, and so we started an art business. And I started realizing, like, I couldn't. I was like, where where would someone like her go for help? Like, she obviously can't afford the agency I work at. We were 125 an hour at the time, and so I was like, well, how do I get her? How do I do her logo? Because I'm not a designer. How do I do her website? How do I do her brochures? Like, I, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff because that wasn't my thing. And so it started in my mind, like this was February of 04. Well, that was October of 04. We did that in February of 04. I wrote a, a paper called PR 2020. And it was basically like I realized all these broken things within the agency model. Um, and, and I didn't know what it was, but it's like there just has to be a better way to do this. Like it was like a vision for how the industry could shift. And then in October of 04, we started the business for my wife. And that was when the two ideas kind of came together. And it's like, wait, if I could build a better agency model that's more efficient, more based on like manufacturing principles and like economies of scale, then I might be able to find a model that could help my wife. And then my parents owned a couple of small businesses. And so I actually set out to try and design a different agency model to, to help them and standardized services set pricing was the core of that. Wow. That's a, and that's you've a... kept, you've, you've kept the standardized pricing set services model but i remember back in the day it was like you literally had a chinese menu of services and you're you're trying to offer like everything a small business <laughs> needs right that was yep. all kind of started out that was yeah that so i started in um you know five working on the business plan and i finished it in, in that summer and then i launched the company in november of 05 and I hadn't finished the model yet, but it ended up having um, 105 services in 19 <laughs> categories, all, and then there was three tiers. So it was basically like 315 SKUs, in essence, that all had set pricing to them. So it took me, I think at one point, I could go about 600 hours to build the original service and pricing guide. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I remember in the meeting we were at with Halligan and Tarmesh, 
Brian said something to me about like $10,000 a month. Because keep in mind, like when I've launched the first service packages tied to HubSpot, the enterprise package was $2,999 a month. And in that meeting, Halligan... Your, like, well, just to be clear, your enterprise services package. Cor- correct. What <laughs> yeah. we were going to charge people for our enterprise service package. Yes. And so Halligan said, well, you know, what would you do for 10000 a month? I was like, phew, I, I have no idea. Like, that's so much money. Like, so if a, <laughs> if a client wanted to give us 10000 a month, I was like, I don't even know what we could do for 10000 a month. So times have changed a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Now, what's your minimum? Uh, we three thousand a month, but most would come in between five and eight k, and then we have clients that'll spend you know ten to fifteen k a month. Okay. What was your like well, early on, Paul? What was your niche? Like, who who were your first few clients? Um, you know, like what uh, what was there a specific vertical you were going after, industry, and and how's that evolved since? Yeah, we were we did a little, um some of our biggest clients in the other days were actually sports events. Because I'd run the junior PGA championship for a client of ours that was the title sponsor. And so for the first two years of the agency, a good chunk of our time was actually spent doing that event. And then that spun off into uh, a big soccer account for um, Brad Friedel, who is the U.S. soccer goalie. had started an academy in near Cleveland because he was from here. And so we did a big event for them. And then we were doing a lot with insurance agencies in the early on, in the early going, and some manufacturing and distribution. And then with HubSpot, the relationship with them is when we really started moving heavy into B2B tech, because most of the companies that they were sending us uh, or that already had HubSpot and needed an agency were software companies. Was there like an evolution that had to take place within your team to be able to service more B2B tech companies? No, because I, I mean, we've almost always taken the approach of hire people out of school and then train them within our systems and train them to fit the client portfolio. So we weren't going out and trying to find people with five, 10 years experience to come in and run tech accounts. We were just developing our own talent. So it, it didn't really change anything other than, you know, an ongoing focus around developing people to be able to run those kinds of accounts. Yeah, I remember for a while you had talked about, uh, and, and still do, like in, in your books, uh, hybrid professionals, which now yeah. is is so, it's almost like a prereq, right? Like, especially kids coming out of school now, it seems like they're more, uh, a lot more versed, I guess, in different areas of, you know, s- some can code, some can write, some can design. Um, but I mean, back then, I say back then, like it was that long ago. Like <laughs> it I said, was, man. <laughs> was, that, that was a pretty rare package right to find in in talent so you would nurture that sort of internally like uh it it always seemed like from afar you guys had that that piece figured out better than most at least you know as as an observer is 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 just the training and developing your own talent and and stuff like that yeah that's always been a priority for us i mean i wouldn't say we even now have it figured out per se but we've always thought strategically about it for a long time but i think i wrote the there was an ebook we published in like 2009 or 2010 called evolution of the prototype marketer and that was the first time where we really started talking publicly about the hybrid concept and then in the agency blueprint in 2011 that was a core piece of it for sure and what do you mean by a hybrid marketing professional these days cross-discipline like that you're not hiring specialists um so you know i think that it fits more in the category of the generalist uh, marketer um Mm -hmm. where we were looking for people that were strong copywriters but also strategically minded and analytical 
um, you know, social media savvy. Like we, they, they needed to be kind of the five tool players basically. And they weren't going to be trained to just do the emails or just do the SEO. They, they needed a base knowledge of all of those things. And then they could specialize in, you know, one or two areas, but they needed to be able to think strategically at that kind of horizontal level, I guess. And and across social and SEO and content marketing and lead generation and automation stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is that easier nowadays to find? I mean, because you see it like even college kids comes out of school now, they know the inbound methodology, they know HubSpot, which, you know, obviously preach that kind of approach. So do you find, have you found that it's easier to, to find that kind of talent, uh, now than it was obviously 10 years ago or even five years ago? Yeah. I, I think what HubSpot's done with working with universities, you know, we, we've always recruited pretty heavily out of Ohio university. And just in the last few years, Nate Riggs now teaches a class there where the kids go through and get HubSpot certified as part of their curriculum. And that's, I mean, he's running like a hundred kids a semester through that or 150, like that, that just didn't exist obviously 10 years ago. So to be able to get people like that, and then even candidates that come in through our pipeline, we'll nurture them by like, Hey, go get HubSpot or inbound certified, go get Google analytics certified. Like we'll have them be doing the training that we would normally have to do once they started we use that as a qualifying method to say, okay, we think this person's interesting. Let's recommend they go do these three things. And then if they come back to us and they've now done those things, it, it vets them and moves them to the top of our pile. Hurdle number one. Yeah. Do the kids like being called kids these days? You both refer to them as kids. It's, it's, it's funny, actually. As soon as I said that about the kids in Nate's class, I was like, yeah, they're probably not kids anymore. But again, like we're – we're talking about you know twelve. Plus, years just ago. just just to make clear, both of you are like thirty years old, right? I know hey, you're a little younger, I'm, John, right? I'm thirty nine. Thirty. I'm, oh, you are. All right, never mind. You look younger. How's that? I can call them kids. <laughs> <I think>. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, I guess going back to those early days too uh, of an agency, and and later on getting ahead of ourselves, you you ended up publishing two books, but the first being the marketing agency blueprint. But like early on. Uh, what were some of, I guess, the harder lessons that maybe you learned that helped sort of spur that book? So, I mean, anything from, I mean, winning new business, client retention, employee retention, like what are some of the, the, the growing pains, if you want to call them that, that you had gone through that helped, I guess, inspire that book? Yeah, well, Pete inspired the book. I mean, Pete was the one who wouldn't leave me alone. He just kept <laughs> like, you know, he was trying to build the partner program and he knew we'd been through a lot. And so he kept prodding me along through the months and years to, you know, share what we were learning. And, and then I finally had a, a change of heart one day in December of 2010. And I sent, I'm sure you still have the email, Pete. And I was like, all right, man, I'm willing to share. Like, I think I sent him a one page brief that was like, here's what I'm thinking. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll support you, whatever you want to do. And then it was three months later, I ended up signing the deal for the first book. So, I mean, honestly, it's just like the thing I tell people now is like, it, it's hard. Like building an agency is, is incredibly difficult. Any business is hard, but professional services in particular can be challenging. Um, I, I think for most people, when they start from the ground up, um, you know, pun intended for the podcast, it's to go from being a professional marketer, which is why you decide you can start a business because you're probably pretty good at being a marketer 
to when you get to like five or 10 employees, like you now actually have to run a business and people's livelihood depends on you. And it all like, you know, there's always that general rule of it costs twice as much and takes twice as long when you build a business. And that's the truth, man. Like I, I can't even tell you how many times I ran through the funding I had in place, which was just debt financing. And, you know, I was, there was one period, um, you know, it seems like yesterday was probably eight, years ago now where I was like 24 hours from liquidating everything I had because I just like, I believed so heavily in where we were going, but you know, the, the cost you incur to build and, and to try new things, which we were always experimenting, like building software and things like that. Um, you know, I had done all the research and I was like, all right, so if I cash out all my retirement savings, like how would this work? And, you know, I was ready to pull the trigger and then a couple of things came through and I, I, you know, luckily didn't need to, but I think it's just the reality of, you're no longer a marketer, you're a business person and you have to make really hard decisions all the time. And, um, you know, in my case, I, I tried to build the company around making it a career destination, not a stepping stone, I think is even the phrase I use in the book. And, and when you still lose good people who you've had, you know, with you for five, seven plus years who were instrumental in building it, to have them leave is a crushing thing to go through personally and like to separate yourself from that. And again, in a service business, everything you do is so dependent upon those people. And I'm not the face of the company to our clients. They are. It's like, how, how do you replace that? How do you deal with that? So I, I just think like, as you keep growing, there are probably different phases you go through from 10 to 20 and 20 to 50 and, and beyond. Um, and you have to make choices on right, what kind of agency you really want to build. So, yeah, just I think becoming a business person and not a marketing professional is probably the hardest transition for most people. Pete, what was uh, from from your angle? Like, what was your your big motivation for for having Paul share everything he had learned so far in in, in that sort of format at that time? Uh, because Paul, I knew that Paul had figured out a lot of those things and that were hard, and I didn't have that direct experience and no one really at HubSpot did. I didn't think we could speak authentically about it. Uh, but I also knew there were a lot of other agencies going through that in private, right? Like with no one to rely on, no one to warn them. And I knew that that if we could help educate them, it would be good for good for us. I also knew all along that it would be good for Paul. I think he <laughs> would agree now that it was that sharing uh, has probably helped him in a lot of different ways. Um, and so it was just a matter of like, I had a mission to build, help agency owners build better agencies. And I knew it wasn't just about software or just about the services they offered. They had to learn how to really master client relationships and employee relationships and development. So I knew Paul had some good stuff to share. He was always, he's always and still is very methodical about everything he does. He's very process driven. Uh, a lot of agencies wing it, especially at that early stage when they are an expert marketer and they know how to do things. Um, they, uh, they wing it, whereas Paul always starts with the process. You might actually over-engineer it a little bit, but I think he always <laughs> arrives with a good process that is followable, teachable uh, to people that haven't done it. And I think for people that aren't familiar with the ecosystem, you know, Pete understood the persona in the early days. Like they weren't trying to sell to 100 person plus agencies or maybe they were trying, but it wasn't really where most of the growth was going to come from. Like they knew it was going to be those five, 10 person shops that were trying to evolve and switch to an inbound marketing methodology 
or it was going to be those one, two person startups that saw HubSpot as a vehicle to grow. And, and those are the agencies that haven't figured out how to run businesses a lot of times. Like, unfortunately, many, many agencies do struggle because the people who started them shouldn't be the ones running them when they're at 10, 20, 50 people. Like, not everybody is a good marketer and a good business person. It's a hard mix to find. Um, but there are some in the ecosystem who've done it really well, but a lot of people do struggle with those basic fundamentals of how do I actually grow a business? Where does my funding come from? How do I get an operating agreement in place? What, you know, what are my policies for employees and maternity leaves and like all these things, like you have no idea, taxes, healthcare, like if that's what your life becomes and that's not that fun. (laughs) What did you, like, what did you learn about yourself through that? Because or, 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 or like, what did you feel more comfortable with? Because again, as an observer, you had both things seemingly down, right? Especially on the marketing side, the books, the speaking engagements, uh, the content that you yourself would put out, let alone your agency. But like, uh, when you started hitting that sort of scale where, you know, you, you, you're, you're a business person and a marketer, like, what did you feel more comfortable with? I, I would say I, I wanted to be a business person more than I wanted to be a marketer. Um, like my personal interests were in developing talent and seeing them succeed. I don't, I don't take any, it's not the right word to say joy. Um, I'm just, I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I've achieved in life. And I don't need any recognition for what we do. What I want is to see my employees and my coworkers like develop and realize what they're capable of. Because I think that's the biggest thing is like when you hire really talented people, they often don't have a clue what they're capable of achieving. And so I always saw my job was to to help them realize what they were capable of and then to give them the resources and guidance to, to see it through. And going back to like what are some of the hardest things, like uh, some of the times I've struggled most was when I there were people who I knew were capable of so much more and they didn't have the desire to get there Um, or it it was, wasn't going to be here. They were going to do it because you invest so much time and energy in in people. And and it's like that first interview sometimes with people, you can just tell that they have this insanely high ceiling. Um, And sometimes I've failed to help them get there. But that to me is like the part I've always enjoyed. So um, that's why I say, I think running the business is more interesting. So so why do you, I know you go through periods where you do a lot of writing and like with the book specifically, I know you kind of locked yourself away in a, in a room for a while and, and write. And then I know you're keeping yourself fairly busy doing speaking about uh, artificial intelligence and how that's affecting marketing. So like, why do you do that stuff? If, if the passion is around the people? Um, well, that stuff grows the platform. I mean, it enables the business to grow, but I, I, I love storytelling. I love figuring out, stories to be told so i think ai is to me like this great unknown like i'm i'm motivated by that because i don't know where it's going and and i'm intent on solving that and so the every time i go give a talk or every time i write about it it's it's my own self-discovery process that i i'm just sharing i guess you're exploring Um, the world so you you're a a curious guy and that satiates your curiosity yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like you mentioned, everything's um, process driven, methodical. Like, I think at my core, I, I, I'm, I think of things more in a scientific way. 
And when I see a problem that needs to be solved, like I've been working on the AI thing going back to 2011, trying to build an intelligence engine, like trying right. to. And, and so for me, it's like this this crazy ongoing thing where I just I, I haven't figured it out yet. And I think that all of that is actually going to change everything about the agency, the services we offer, how we deliver them um, within the next three to five years. And I think a lot of what we do is going to be intelligently automated. And so, again, it goes back to like 2011 when I wrote the first book. It's like I think the agency ecosystem is going to evolve. I think it's going to look very different back then. And so I was writing it because I wanted to know, like I wanted to tell the story. And I think that's where we are now with AI is I think we're going to have a another period where things are just going to completely change. And I, I'd like to figure it out. Uh, and in part, it's self-preservation like i want to figure it out before somebody else does or before <laughs> we get disrupted <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was great timing too um i mean when you launched it now so you know a few years ago it reminded me of probably social media marketing uh you know mike stelzner when he started his blog and and maybe joe Pelizzi when he started the content marketing institute yeah. like you know those those first few blogs that started the right time uh you know, it's it, it's not necessarily, you know, even the ones that come after face an uphill battle, right? When you kind of put your flag in the ground and, and you're there first, um, kind of unseating those kind of blogs. But uh, and you guys have gotten there at a time where it's still not. I mean, I was just talking to Ollie Gardner the other day. We're going to have an episode with Unbounce uh, mm -hmm. on Ground Up. And, and like other SaaS companies, they're investing heavily in, you know, in AI and, and stuff uh, product-wise. But asking him, like... Uh, you know about this and he he was like you know we haven't even scratched the surface like you've seen you know a lot with bots and and things like that uh ai start to sneak its way into marketing but like from your uh you know f in in your opinion like ha have we begun to scratch the surface on this and like uh, what are the capabilities of this uh you know going forward yeah, it, we haven't even come close to scratching the surface i mean the stuff we're seeing today is child's play compared to where it's all going to go. I mean, um, I mean, in simplistic terms, there isn't really a, a, an activity a marketer does today that probably can't be intelligently automated down the road. Um, and in some cases, not too distant future. The only thing keeping it from happening faster is the reward to do it. Like there's only so many machine learning engineers in the world. There's only so many people capable of building tools uh, using artificial intelligence. Why would they make landing pages better or like better optimize a, a page when you could be changing Wall Street or healthcare or logistics or transportation or any other industry where the, the reward is billions, if not trillions of dollars? So the, the only restriction is really the, the time and the resources to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I just think like, you know, look at HubSpot and they're acquiring Oracle's acquiring Salesforce, acquiring, like everybody's getting bought up. But the, the hard thing right now is finding talent to build these marketing solutions, these like use case based solutions, because Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, IBM, they buy everybody that can do it. Like they just acquire the companies. It could be three, four, five person shops and they can exit for, you know, a hundred million dollars because they just need those people. So I, that's the only thing restricting the complete disruption of the marketing industry and agencies is how, how much resources, how many resources are going to be put to creating the AI at these use case levels. I think 
the platforms are going to take time to do it, but it's inevitable. I mean, it, it's going to change everything. Like it'll dwarf social media, content marketing, email marketing, like all of it. It's, it's going to change all of those and it'll make all of those seem minute in comparison to what it does to the industry. What's the? Uh, I remember. I remember people saying the same thing about social media back, you know, <laughs> five eight years ago. Like social media will change everything, and it, indeed, it has creeped into to everything from marketing to sales to service. Like anything that's front office, if you're not, you know, in a, inside a company, they need to be focused on, yeah. on social. But but I, I still feel like it's just a piece of the puzzle. But you think AI will be more fundamental, almost like the, the databases only, or HTML. Yeah, the, the only equivalent, I think, to understand its potential would be the internet itself. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a channel within some massive right. thing. We're talking about a fundamental, yeah, change in the way everything functions. Um, in more recent memory, like what the iPhone has done, like you know, just it changed everything: how we communicate, how we behave, what we expect of technology. Like that's where AI potentially can go and it's it's really hard to envision out and to like predict what it's going to look like and i always say like i'll i will really even talk beyond three to five years because i think anybody who tries to prognosticate beyond that is it's just educated guesses at best yeah but yeah it's gonna it's gonna change everything for sure so it sounds like if anything could disrupt sort of the model that's been working for so long email i mean even social media to an extent right i know it's been you know, under 10 years since it's really been widespread. But if anything can disrupt that model, it sounds like it would be the, so, so when you say it's going to change those things, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially it could disrupt those things, right? Like, will, will people still be doing email in the way that we see it now, right? In 10 years or 15 years when, when things like this are, are more widespread and accessible, I guess, to more people. Yeah. The easier, thing to look at is probably how it will enhance each of those things. So like social media, just use that as an example, say you're launching a, a product and you're trying to figure out um, what social media shares to create, like what you're going to say, the timing of them, which images to include, what hashtags to include, um, you know, which channels to push them out through, like all of these decisions that should be data driven that humans make almost 100% of the time right now, there isn't a single one of those things I just said that shouldn't be and, and, and will be done better by machines. Um, so social media as an activity, social media itself isn't going away, but using machines to either enhance what a human does or replace what they do is absolutely going to happen. The same thing with email marketing. Like a great example of that is, let's say you have 10,000 people you're going to send an email to on Thursday, and this is tech that already exists. But you're going to send it on Thursday, and so you blast out your 10,000 contacts. Well, the thing a human could do is like, well, let me segment this, and I'll send to people in Europe. You know, they're six hours ahead or whatever, so let's make sure we send that at 10 a.m. so it gets to the workday. And you may segment your list a few different ways. But to, to actually personalize, which at the end of the day, like AI will enable marketers to personalize at an, an inhuman level, like ways we could never do it. You're, you would take that list and the AI would figure out how and when to send all 10,000 emails potentially at 10,000 different times. But the human wouldn't have to have anything to do with it. And it could look at like past open rates. It could look at geographics. It could look at 
um, you know, past clicks, like whatever, all this, these data points would inform when is actually the best time to send that. And then the AI could actually personalize the content of all 10,000 emails based on what's of interest to that person. Like, again, email is still going to be a way to get to them, but the machine should be doing the majority of the personalization. And that's the kind of tech you're seeing. Like there's lots of investments being made in AI that can better personalize on these like one-off levels. And that is, that's, that is just scratching the surface. Like John is actually a new user of uh, seventh sense and a yeah. convert belief. Yeah. So I think you, yeah. in terms of send time personalization, yep. that's what you're referring right. to. Yep. It sounds like there are other companies that are picking the copy, like AI companies that can pick the copy for you and, and personalize yeah. it that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Creating the copy is hard. Uh, very right. hard. That's good that, news. Good news for content writers and copywriters. <laughs> but there's been some some significant advances in that yeah. space. As Paul's well. a PR guy. He's never going to tell us when there's AI that actually creates stories <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's interesting too because uh, I think it 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 poses like an interesting evolution that marketers themselves will have to go through. Not not just because of the, some of the skills that might you know, might be taken over by machines themselves, but just like the discipline of like, like you said, like emails being sent at different times, depending on the user's past behavior or their geographics or, or whatever it is. So like our, our mindset and behavior also needs to change from, I hate this term, like email blasts, right? They go out and, uh, you know, 10,000 people, let's say uh, a nice round number, receive it all at once. So your engagement that day, right? Like if it was today mm-hmm. on November 27th is, is going to see a spike in all of your, um, you know, and all of your back end and, and in data box. Um, but with machine learning, right, that's going to be, that's going to be sort of spread out, um, over right. several weeks or days, depending on when the best time to send is based on, you know, machine learning and things like that. So I think it's interesting, like, uh, uh, a shift in mindset and the way we do things and measure things, I think will also have to take place when, when these kinds of advances, I mean, they're already here, but as they continue, uh, you know, I guess their ascent into marketing because it, I, I mean, I've noticed it myself personally that like, I have to think about it differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, a, a good way to look at it is like, think about how big the marketing automation space is now. I mean, billions of dollars, right. And that technology is manual. Like it, it the human, the marketer sets all the rules in the marketing automation platforms. Like literally everything. You set up all the rules. Now, I send my 10,000 emails now. Here's the, the workflow branching logic based on what they do with those emails. And you have to create all this work. Like none of that will be done by humans in the next five years. It'll, it'll all be completely automated. So if you start looking at your agency or you know, your marketing department, look at all the time intensive, like almost administrative type tasks Anything that is can be decided using data will be decided or at least recommendations based on probabilities will be made by a machine. And then the human may still have the deciding layer in times, but anything that's data driven um, can and will be done better by a machine. What's the, uh, what's the response been, you know, for the blog? Like, how's that, how's that continue to grow? Yeah, it's been awesome. Like it's the, the subscriber base is, um, like a who's who of fortune 500 companies. So we've seen enormous interest from marketers at big companies. There's also a lot of venture capitalists that are subscribers. So we know people are watching the space for investment opportunities. 
And then there's a lot of these, you know, AI powered VC funded startups. And, you know, we've profiled 32 of them. Um, and so we have a really interesting inside look at how they look at the space because it's hard right now. Like if, if you have a, a software company that's using AI and they want to say we're AI powered to most marketers, that means nothing. And it, so it's, a, it's like a challenging space right now where they're trying to differentiate their software as being more intelligent, but it doesn't necessarily have meaning yet. And so the, the place we've sort of fallen into is a lot of these companies are seeing us as a third party vehicle to help educate the market as a whole on the value of truly intelligent software um, versus them just having to try and you know, bang the drum on their own blogs. So that's created opportunities for us to you know, partner up with some of these organizations and continue to tell the story. So, yeah, we started November of 16. So it's a year now, We've written about 110 posts. And um, and now we're moving into phase two, which would be doing a lot more interesting things, I would say, with that that site and, and the Institute as a whole. Can we go back to the agency a little bit and like just yeah. give us some stats on where you are now in terms yeah. of the business? Yeah, size of the company kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. so we're we're around uh, 20 employees or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and at any given month, we probably have 20 to 25 clients in the portfolio. Historically, we only brought people in on a campaign basis, which for us meant they were signing like a six or 12-month contract. Mm-hmm. We've shifted in the last year. We're starting to do more project work and more consulting and more workshops. And that's been my big focus is I don't want to I don't want to build a business that's reliant on service revenue for profits. Um, and by that, I mean, today, like 90 percent of our revenue still comes in from services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had a big focus on diversifying that through workshops, speaking, publishing, um, like publishing royalties all run through the agency and then yeah. the institute and online education and like that's where i see the future of our agency is being probably closer to like a 50 50 split okay, uh, okay. because the profits are obviously much greater in the other areas and then for me I- i'm not sure i ever really want to run a 50 person agency like you know my mind may change over time but pete you've known me long enough like i just yeah, yeah. <laughs> love the the staff and i love developing people but i don't know that i'd be happy um personally if I was running a 50 person agency, I, I, I've, a, yeah. I, I've always built the business and grown it to fit the lifestyle I wanted and the, that enabled the employees to, um, have a, a true work life balance, which I know everybody says it's kind of cliche, but like everybody goes home at five o'clock every day. Uh, I don't expect people to work nights and weekends unless they you know want to and are trying to grow. And so you make sacrifices on the growth side to enable that. But mm-hmm. so far in my life with where I'm at and my age of my kids, like that's what has fit best. Yeah, I gave up a long time ago getting you to grow faster. I think the potential <laughs> the potential was there. And as soon as you wrote the book, I'm like, I'll find other people that want to grow faster. But yeah. but uh, but yeah, no, I, I think what you've accomplished there, I, I've seen it firsthand and I've met and hung out with enough of your employees to see it. They love working with you, working for you, working at the agency. And you, you do give them that ability not just develop as a professional, but also to have a life. Uh, you know, it seems like everybody has fun both in the office and outside the office, which I think is a rare thing to accomplish at an agency. Yeah. And I think it's an important lesson um, 
for anybody really that's building a business and mm-hmm. in particular building an agency. It's like, <clears throat> and you and I have talked about this before, Pete, like you have to know what success is to you and, and you have to be comfortable with that decision. And for me, success has never been, how do I become a 10, 20, $50 million agency? It was like, can I live my life and spend the time with my family I want to spend and and retain and develop talent? So it's like the growth has almost happened to the level where I felt necessary to enable me to do those things, right. whereas the growth itself was never the priority. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think about different growth paths and have conversations to you know go in bigger directions, but again, it's always kind of a field thing for I me. I think one of the things you've always been focused on is is optimizing your margins, yes. not in a bad way, but optimizing your margins to afford that for your team and you, as opposed to optimizing your revenue growth. A lot of agencies out there grow for the growth, grow for growth sake, but whereas you always seem to have a focus on like, how much money am I actually making? <laughs> and right. can I put back into the business? And right, right. Right, and with a, uh, you know, there's there's agencies that have obviously a, a a higher headcount, but you've seemingly been able to do a lot with. I mean, twenty employees is a lot, but like I said, there's uh, for for being able, you've been around that size for a few years now, right? I remember, you know, being at HubSpot for a partner event several years ago, and I think you were around like fifteen, eighteen. Yeah, that's uh, probably right. I mean, yeah, we've kind of been in the twelve to twenty range, um, you know for a few years, but revenue growth, like we've grown a hundred percent the last five years. Yeah. Um, that to me, so is, yeah, it seems every year. No, total. No, total. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So scaling, you know, without having to scale headcount by, you know, the right. same, yeah, it, that, that's impressive. Um, and that's my, it's been my big focus now. And again, it, things shift, like the Institute may change some stuff because there's just, there's some times where you, you, you have opportunities to grow that you just have to take. Whereas the service business side, in my opinion, it, it I don't know, <laughs> scaling a service business is, is tough. Um, and I don't, it's, everybody has to decide what they want to do, but that, that to me is, is not necessarily what has always been the most interesting part to me. You said something interesting a second ago, um, which I don't think people will catch, but we've had a conversation about it. So I'm going to call it out a little bit. You said something where you grow in order to accomplish the things you want. And 20, I think, is a, a supports an, a business that allows you to do some experimentation. Is that right? Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and what I mean by that, I guess, is like, obviously, we have really talented people who have been here for a while and you need to, to be able to take care of them financially. So you have to grow the business because to me, keeping them here and keeping them motivated, um, when we all have alternate choices, like any one of us could leave, I could leave and probably make a lot more money than I make. Um, so it's like, we have to take care of people financially because they have those, those needs, but then these other opportunities to be a part of, you know, in a, in a way changing the industry. Like I, I've talked about it internally, Pete, like when we were there at that at the kind of the ground floor of inbound marketing in 2007 2008 and i don't know that we took full advantage of that position as you've called out mm-hmm. like i i resisted taking full advantage of that position and we could probably be five times the size we are today if if i had if you wanted to yeah right but i don't regret it for a second because um through the years like i i'm i'm happy where we are and i'm 
you know, I, but I also look at AI and I think this is so much bigger than what we sat there with in 2007 and we just happened to get there first again. And I'm not sure that 10 years from now, I'd be okay letting that one pass, if, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and are, are you guys using, because I've, you know, from, from reading the blog, there's a lot of contributors from PR. So how does that, I guess, like, how does that balance work out where you guys have, you know, internal marketing for PR and then obviously client work and then obviously some dedicated time to and resources to the, to the Institute? Yeah. Right now the Institute is, is me and one other guy who spends probably, you know, 30, 40 hours a month on it. So collectively we haven't even put a full-time employee on it yet. <laughs> um, which is pretty crazy because what we've been able to do with it in 12 months with basically half a full-time equivalent is is awesome and so now like i said like we're we're gonna accelerate the growth of that in terms of human resources financial resources and also starting to play out the vision behind what it's capable of becoming um but yeah we you know we try and have time dedicated to the marketing of the agency the core agency and then we have these other initiatives like we've got our marketing score software still we've got you know, the AI Institute, we've got marketing agency insider and in part to the detriment of our core services growth, because I spend all my time sort of distracted on these other big growth initiative things. And sometimes they don't turn into anything. And sometimes they take six years to turn into something. But I, again, why I've never gone very far. And in, in when people come and say, Hey, can we buy you? My answer is always like, no, like I have no interest. Like because the thing I enjoy most is being able to pursue these other things that I, I don't even know when they'll come to fruition, but I believe in the direction we're going with them. And to me, that's a really valuable thing uh, personally. And so the idea of like selling off to somebody and then having to report to somebody else and fit within the growth structure sounds horrible to me. Like, just, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, I guess like, where do you see your time and, and, and and the agency being, uh, I guess, within the next three to five years, like how will your will you be shifting more towards the AI piece, and and like what does the agency look like in in a few years from now? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I'm sure people on staff would probably like to know the answer to that question too. <laughs> I'd like to know the answer to that question. Uh, I would say, from an agency perspective, I don't think we've realized half of what we're capable of becoming. So. The, the only downside to me spending all this time on these other things is I've never realized what we're capable of being as a service business. And I, I want to fix that. So I plan on spending more time trying to make the agency what it's capable of being. Um, and there's a whole realm of other things that go into that. Uh, the AI thing is a major focus of mine. Um, I think that that actually at some point becomes... The, the, the service business and the AI Institute become much more closely unified, um, meaning the AI Institute in large part is a research initiative to figure out the market. And that will in turn inform what the service business becomes and how we do what we do on the service side. So do you think uh, you'll, you'll be helping clients implement processes that involve the use of AI or software that uses AI? You think you'll kind of take a you'll help companies do that, whether it's consulting or workshops or one-on-one or, yeah. or -on -one services. Yeah. And we're starting that now. Like I've, I'm, people are reaching out quite frequently asking for AI consulting, which, mm. you know, um, and then the other thing is the, I, I almost envision a day where 
uh, we're our, our own largest client. And, and what I mean by that is these other initiatives that we've invested time and money in over the years, uh, I think in some cases have potential to be much, much larger than the service business itself. And therefore, the service business could provide the marketing support or account teams to grow those other businesses. And so I, I think I, I kind of like the idea of being my own client because it would actually then help me solve the service side of how do I make the service business better. If I am the largest client, then I'm pushing the limits of what the service business is capable of doing and in turn challenging it to become better. So. That's super interesting. Yeah. The um, back to um, back to the the present day. You have a, a course that I'm sure I'm not the only one who is begging you to produce. You have a <laughs> course coming up for agencies. Um, yeah. on, on Pricing or something. What is that? Yeah. Tell us about. That. So we uh, in the first chapter of the marketing agency blueprint, it was titled "Eliminate Billable Hours," and it was a. Uh, it got into seven variables to consider when building a value-based pricing model. But when I wrote that book, we actually hadn't solved what that is. We hadn't, as I've said, like cracked the code of how to do a value-based pricing model. And then in like 2012, 13, I started working on a concept of using points. Um, and in 2014, we debuted point pricing as a, a, a form of agency pricing model. So we've now been working on that for four years where it's been in the, in the, in the industry of hundreds of clients, thousands of projects have been run using points. And for a couple of years, we've had agencies asking like, can we license this? How do we learn more about it? How do we do it? And so we finally decided to, to kind of like compact like we did with you in the early days. It's like, we'll just open up and share what we know. It's not perfect, but we're, we're launching point pricing for agencies, which is a, uh, online training course it'll be three sessions and we're going to give away like i think it's like 19 templates and documents to help people adopt it and um, you know evolve it on their own and communicate it to employees and clients and yeah um, so that's that's going to start in january of 18 it'll be available through three live sessions and then they'll all be available on demand after that and uh, at a high level like wh what does point pricing solve for an agency or a client yeah, it's, it's the way I look at it is um, when you try and figure out what is it you sell as a, as a service business, it a lot of people do charge hours or they charge all these different projects at a fixed rate. Um, but what I always wanted was the simplicity of software sales. Like if you're HubSpot, you sell number of contacts, Basecamp, number of projects. If Wistia is like, you know, amount of video uploaded, whatever they may be, like there's a single unit of value. And mm -hmm. so me points became that fixed unit of value and what clients were actually buying was points an allotment of points and what we did with those points would vary but every client pays the same number of points for different projects so like a blog post is three points an email is two points a landing page is two points and so it's totally transparent to the client but then for the agency it's very value-based meaning i i like a great example of this would be if someone comes to me for in a crisis communication situation and I spend 30 minutes on the phone with them uh, having a conversation that may save their company, there's mm. no way I'm charging them 30 minutes of my time. Like <laughs> I, I'm charging them 55 points because that took 12 years of me learning and doing this to be able to have that 30 minute conversation of what you should now do. 
And that's happened. Like I've gotten those calls on a Friday night. So that's the concept is I always tell people like you're leaving value on the table as an agency. um, Yeah when you're not thinking of your services in a value-based model. And so that's the points just simplifies it. And I, I mean, like I said, we've done it for hundreds of clients and we've never had a single one not completely understand what we were trying to do with it. Yeah. And it's, you're basically giving them that, like if we go back to what we talked about earlier in the call, you're giving them that laundry list, those 15,000 SKUs, exaggerating 17,000, but you're giving them those SKUs and what the points are as opposed to what the dollars are necessarily. Yeah. So in, in the, uh, in the point pricing for agencies program, we'll give them like templates of, uh, almost like recipes for if you're doing a trade show, if you're doing a product launch, like here's sample game plans with point values for each project and basically understand like it, it, in essence, we're just open sourcing it. And it's like, hey, you may not follow our model, but here's how we built a value-based model. And here's what we've learned after all these years. Now take all this information and build your own or use it to adapt your existing point model. Because I know a lot of agencies already moved to points. Yeah. So it's really just like, here's what we know. Let's try and improve this together. And more as like a community-based approach to a different model. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, in terms of the back end, like you have you have projects project templates that you can use for any service that you offer, and you know you've defined roughly how long it takes and and all of that, and you're tracking that and top in a time management tool, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, we have we started the agency twelve years ago. We have tracked every single project we've ever done. So I have twelve years of time data that can go into informing the point values because time it takes is certainly one variable that goes into figuring out how many points you charge for each thing. Right. But you want to make sure you're not losing money. Correct. Yeah. Um, go ahead, John. This is great. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, I just want to let you guys know, we just recorded the longest episode yet today. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, why I stopped asking questions. Like, I probably it, go for another half hour. <laughs> no, but this was, <laughs> Uh, it was is worth every minute. I mean, uh, uh, Paul, thanks for carving out so much time. I mean, this is sure. uh, uh, there. There's so much that I've read of yours between the blog posts and books, and and I think we actually dug into stuff that I've never heard you talk about before, which is exciting for me. Which was which was the ultimate goal. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for for carving up so much time, and congrats on the continued success of the agency and the uh, I won't say new blog anymore because it's been around for over a year now. <laughs> But I, I can't wait to see all the stuff that, that you guys continue to to do with that and, and as well as the agency. And uh, we'll stay close because uh, you guys are, are, are partners of Databox. But, yeah, thanks so much for coming on and congrats on all the success. Oh, thank you. Pete knows too much about us. He knows the questions <laughs> to ask. <laughs> I could have gotten a lot more invasive. But oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I held back a Next little. time. Knew, we'll do, I, we'll do a part two. <laughs> awesome. Well, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Again, thanks so much. All right. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.